So we will be continuing. I will be continuing tonight in Pastor's message uh, entitled, Fulfilling God's Dream in You. And tonight we're going to be talking about the uh, palace test, testing when entering the palace. Every one of us has been given a God-given dream, every one of us. Every one of us has a God-given destiny. Sadly, not everybody will fulfill that destiny uh, because, of, because of some character issues uh, that they're unwilling to overcome. So uh, we want to show, tonight we want to show how do we get from the God-given dream and step into that destiny. And so that's what this teaching is bringing forth. We all know people who have done great things but eventually lost everything because of poor choices based upon incorrect thinking. We already covered the pride test and the pit test. Tonight we're doing the palace test. Now here's something you may not want to hear. These tests will be ongoing all the way through life. Oh, yay. <laughs> Even after stepping into our destiny... But because we've grown spiritually, they should become easier to pass. Do you know why that is? Because we have, a, we have flesh. We're still in the flesh. And uh, this body is not redeemed. And uh, we have a soul as well. Our mind, will, intellect, emotions. And that's the part of us that we need to be renewing to the word of God. Uh, actually, there's a word that uh, says that we believe to the saving of the soul uh, in the book of James. And that is not the, and that, that word is really talking about the obtaining of the soul. It's not the normal word for saving that is used, the word sozo. It's a word, uh, parapoesis, and it's a word that actually means to obtain, to take hold of your soul so that your soul doesn't take hold of you. And so that your spirit man, your spirit woman is leading and guiding your soul, is in charge, and your soul is being renewed to the word of God to where it agrees with the spirit. And then those two functions dominate the flesh in your life. And that really is, that process is the best way uh, to encounter these tests less in life. The palace test has to do with stewardship. As Joseph entered in as a servant, the, the palace test is the story of Joseph as a servant to Potiphar. Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh who served also in the palace. I thought it was, it's interesting as Joseph is serving Potiphar, Potiphar is serving Pharaoh. Key point, most of the time when you enter into the palace, it's in the role of a servant. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, if we can only, if the body of Christ could only take on a mindset of servitude, that we are here to serve others. It's not about us. It's about serving others, and it's about helping them to become a success in life. Depending on how faithful we are in serving and developing a heart to serve will determine how high we rise in the palace. And so really, it's our choice, isn't it? The palace test is about stewardship, prosperity, and being successful in all that you do. We're going to read through Genesis 39, 1 through 6, and then we're going to read verse 23. 
Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, as he was in the house of his master, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. I want you to take a look at that phrase again right there in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. So having the Lord's presence in our life will cause you to become a success. There's benefits that we can walk in and should walk in from the presence of the Lord. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. You know, Potiphar was not a believer. Potiphar uh, was a Gentile. Potiphar was actually a pagan compared to what, you know, the Jewish belief. And so here's somebody who's steeped in uh, all the different gods in Egypt, and yet this man, actually the, the Egyptians prided themselves. They were the top of the food chain, if I could say it that way. They were, they were the, they were it, as far as they were concerned. And they were the world power, the dominating power. So there was a lot of pride uh, in Egypt. And so for Potiphar to even take note of this, uh, it's, a pretty strong, it's a pretty strong indicator of the presence of God in Joseph's life. And his master saw, there was something that he saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, promotion, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. You see here that Joseph becomes the second in authority because of God's presence and God's favor. I like that, that it said, and the Lord blessed Joseph, uh, the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. You know, on our jobs and different places that we are out in the world, uh, there should be a blessing that comes upon that place because of our presence there, because we're taking time in the presence of the Lord. And if we would learn to do that, if we would learn that key in life, then you would begin to see this anointing of prosperity and success, not only in your own life, but you'd begin to see it in the workplace and with, amongst relationships that you have. We're going to skip on down to verse 23. Now, this is where Joseph gets put into prison. So he's, now he's in prison. And uh, look at what it says here. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. I don't care where you put this man. Wherever you put him, prosperity is going to take place. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the circumstances. Of course, Joseph didn't want to be in prison. He wanted to get out. 
but wherever he was in life, the prosperity, the favor of God was there. You know, there's a, there's a little message for us right there. You know, sometimes we're in adverse places in life, and all of a sudden we think God has forgotten all about us. Could it be that in that situation, that trial, that testing that we're in, that doesn't look favorable in the natural, could it be that God is wanting his presence to show up? And to make a difference in your life in the midst of that so that others around you can begin to see. You know, the world is sensual. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking in an erotic sense. When I say the word is sensual, it simply means that the world operates according to their senses. They go by what they see, what they feel, and so what they hear. And so the world is, it goes by their senses. They need to see that something has taken place around them so that they can take note of that and the Lord can work with that to bring uh, a revelation to them of his presence. And he wants to do it through us. So Joseph, again, uh, begin, takes, gets, becomes second in authority no matter where he is. Let me ask you a question. Would it be okay for God to do this with you? For God to bless you like that. Would that be okay? Well, this is exactly what God wants to do with every believer. Even in prison, Joseph's character remained the same. He was a man of great integrity. It's God who makes your marriage prosper. It's God who makes your business or job prosper. It's God who makes your finances grow. It's God who makes your parenting skills prosper. It's God who makes your health prosper. Whatever you do, God wants to make it to prosper. I've lived in my life without God's favor, and now I live in God's favor. And I've got a testimony for you. In is better. <laughs> in is much better. At times I've walked out from underneath God's favor, and I've made mistakes. Have you ever made any mistakes? Yes, we've all, we've all been there. We've all done that. And I've learned that when I repent and I turn my heart back to the Lord, solely to the Lord, there's a marked difference that takes place. And the favor of God is, at that moment, very apparent in my life. I've come to the place in my life where I actually expect the favor of God. I expect that to happen. And... Uh, I, and I've noticed in my life that I've begun to make an acknowledgement of it when it takes place. And I've noticed that the more I make an acknowledgement of it to the Lord and I thank the Lord for it, the more of this favor, his favor, I begin to see in my life. So I just have a little phrase that I'll say, uh, something will happen and I'll say, well, that's the favor of the, God, of the Lord right there. Thank you, Lord. I received your favor. And the more I acknowledge it, the more I honor him and thank him for it, letting him know that I, just, I know it's not just coincidence, uh, the more I've seen it take place. You've heard me say this before. I've been in grocery stores where there's been a long, huge line. All the stands had lines in it. And I've, I'm back, you know, 10 people back in line or something. And I've had a checker walk up to me, tap me on the shoulder, and just kind of say, come on, follow me. And I, I go to follow her, and all of a sudden the line goes with me, you know. They're, they're thinking another stand. And she puts her hand up and says, no, no, you guys stay right there. I'm just checking him out. 
And all of a sudden, I go through the line, and you could just see they're looking like, well, who is he? I want to look back at him and say, just God's son, that's all. That's who I am. <laughs> it's the favor of God. That's what it is. <laughs> Let's look at four important keys to experiencing God's favor that are revealed in the life of Joseph in the palace test. Number one, the key to prospering is in the presence of the Lord. The key to prospering is in the presence of the Lord. Because, note, because God was with Joseph, Joseph prospered. Now, when we hear the word prosperity or prosper, uh, sadly to say that the word prosperity has almost become like a four-letter word amongst many Christians, which I just don't understand it. I do understand that there's been some bad teaching, uh, that there's been, a, there's been excess in this area over the years. But how many of you know you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? You know, if there's some excesses, what do you do? You correct. And you make changes. But you don't throw the whole teaching out just because of uh, some excesses and because some churches or some areas have got into a bad way with it. Truth and error live right next door to each other. And there's often a very, very fine line. When God restores truth and correction in the church, Satan challenges this and brings about testing, causing normal average Christians to shy away from the truth. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, prosperity is God's will. If you look through the word of God, there is a correct area of prosperity. Let me just say it this way. Did you know that healing is prosperity? Did you know that health is prosperity? Did you know that walking in love is prosperity? Uh, all of these things that we, supposed, that we need to walk in as a believer, there is a maturing process in that, and that is all part of the, part of the pie of prosperity. However, finances are a part of that. So prosperity is definitely God's will. You can see it all through the word of God. There have been excesses, like we said, but as a result, many have drawn back and don't even want to mention the word prosperity. But it doesn't change the fact that God wants us to prosper. God wants us to succeed. Is that correct? So if he wants us to succeed, then he wants us to prosper. So we need to not shy away from the truth of God's word. The next one that I've seen an area where the enemy will challenge is in the area of the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit especially. The power of the Holy Spirit is evident for all, yet Satan directs some within the church into fleshly excess. Have, any, have you ever been in a, in a meeting over the years where there's been some fleshly excess or demonstrations of the Spirit? I mean, years ago... Uh, in the 90s, in the mid-90s, uh, there was a lot of this going on. And so there were some things that really uh, turned some people. I, I've got stories of, that I could share with you, but I don't have time. <laughs> but we've probably all seen that kind of excess. However, does it mean that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not real? It does not. Some, to some people, it appears goofy and weird. However, the Holy Spirit is not goofy and weird. The Holy Spirit is precious. 
and there is a correct way to walk with the demonstration or the baptism with the Holy Spirit and walk in his power and walk within his authority. Because of this, some have shied away from the precious Holy Spirit and the deep relationship that we can have with him. This, was a, this, ha- this happened with my mother. Uh, when she was younger, she grew up in Nebraska, and she was in there. There was a country Pentecostal church, and they had some excesses going on there. It scared her as a child, and she told me, and so she never would embrace the baptism with the Holy Spirit all the way up until where she passed. And I tried to talk to her about it many times, but she would tell me she's scared. And so it frightened her as a child, and she told me that she would climb underneath the pews and she would try to hide because of the, what the adults running around, yelling, screaming, all the things that they were doing. It just freaked her out. And it scarred her for life because of these excesses. So there's times where we can, where we can think about us having an experience, but we need to also consider those who are around us, don't we? So is prosperity in the, in the Bible? The result of the presence of God is his blessing, and prosperity is the result. I want to read through a couple of scriptures, and let's take a look. Uh, what the Bible says about this prosperity. Genesis 26, uh, 12 and 13, it says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Now, you could hear that and say, well, what's, what's so fantastic about that. I mean, when, when you put seed into the ground, it's supposed to, supposed to grow and there's supposed to be a harvest. Yes, that's correct. However, if you read this chapter in verse 1, you will find that it opens up by saying there was a famine in the land. There was no rain. It was a time when everybody's crops were dying. It was a foolish thing to plant seed into the ground when it's hot and there's no rain. Why? Because you just wasted your seed. You could at least taken that seed, and you could have ground that seed down into meal, and you could have eaten it. But to go ahead and sow a whole field with it when it's, when it's a time of famine, that's just foolishness. And I just wonder how many people, the pagans that were living in that time, the unbelievers that were living in that time, looked out and saw Isaac sowing a field probably a lot of ridicule going on. But then all of a sudden, something began to happen. All of a sudden, the seed sprouted. And all of a sudden, the field started turning green. And all of a sudden, plants started showing up. And all of a sudden, when he put the sickle into the harvest, and all of a sudden, he's reaping in a hundredfold. See, I don't even think that a hundredfold crop is... uh, happens all the time. There's probably also always some seed that never comes up. But in this situation, all of that seed came up, and it was in a time where the crop should not have happened. So there was something there. There was an anointing. There was something supernatural that took place that caused this man to, number one, sow in time of, heart, in, in time of famine, and number two, to reap a hundredfold when he should not have reaped anything. That's the kind of favor 
that God wants, to, wants every one of us to experience. Take a look at Deuteronomy uh, 29, verse 9. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. Honoring God, worshiping God, honoring God through adherence to the word, taking the word seriously, releases his prosperity in every area of your life. We need to be people that are worshipers of the Lord. We need to be people who are sensitive to his presence. We need to be people who are coming to him and honoring him. I really, uh, you hear a lot of talk in this church about honor. And, I'm so, and, and I have ever since I've been here for 33 years, I've always heard that word honor and uh, honoring one another. It's been kind of a mainstay teaching within Valley Community. Uh, but it's something that within the world we don't see. A lot of people have lost. A lot of people grow up without it, and they don't understand what even the word honor uh, means. So worshiping the Lord, honoring him through adherence to the word, taking the word seriously, releases his prosperity in every area of life. Take a look at 2 Kings 18, 5 through 7, story of King Hezekiah. It says, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor were there, uh, nor who were before him. Here it is, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 7, the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. Doesn't that sound just like Joseph? It's the same statement just about. The Lord was with him, and he prospered wherever he went. Again, the key to prosperity is the presence of the Lord. Look at 3 John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Remember I talked about your soul being renewed, your soul uh, obtain, your spirit uh, obtaining your soul. Your soul needs to prosper. And how does it prosper? It prospers through the word of God. The word prosper uh, one of the words for prosper in the Hebrew is a word, salak. And it's used 63 times in the Old Testament. And listen to the meaning of this word. It means to push forward. Literally, to push forward. In other words, God gets behind you to push you forward in life into his very best. And why would that not be so? Because when you become born again, when we become saved, we become one with the Lord. We enter into a covenant, and that covenant means that the two of us have become one. And it literally means this, all that I have and, and all that I am now belongs to you. So it would be a breach of the covenant for us not to prosper. And so I don't understand when I hear Christians knock prosperity. The first thing I think about is you haven't got a clue about covenant, have you? And so, but this, I love this word. It means to push forward. Think about that. God is behind you, pushing you forward so that you can prosper, so that you can become, begin to become aware and walk in his very best. This is one reason why we need to develop in and mature in sensitivity to his presence. If you're living without God's presence, it's like 
walking against the wind. I don't know if you've ever been in a, a, a huge windstorm uh, where it's been really strong wind and you're trying to walk forward in it and it's almost like somebody's just almost holding you back. It's really a struggle. And then if you were to turn around and walk with the wind behind you, then you better be careful because you're going to really take off. <laughs> I, when I used to do a lot of hiking, I always wished that one of those winds would come up behind me and help push me up the mountain. <laughs> the only time this Hebrew word, salak, which means to prosper, to push forward, is translated differently uh, is in the Old Testament was in the story of Samson. And three times it's used in conjunction with Samson. And it says this, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. One time it was there was a young lion there, and Samson basically ripped the lion. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he ripped the lion in half. And then there was another time where there were some enemies, and he went up against about 30 of them, and he conquered them. And then there was another time where he took the jawbone of a donkey, and he slew a 1,000. That's amazing right there, one man that can take care of a 1,000, you know, or basically an army. And uh, it says, But it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And this word came upon is the word salak, and it means to prosper. In other words, the Spirit of the Lord prospered him into victory. But what did it do? It pushed him forward into victory, into God's plans. It pushed him forward. It wasn't something that Samson could do on his own. It was the Spirit of God that was upon him. I want you to know that you've got the Spirit of the Lord dwelling on the inside of you, and he wants to absolutely push you forward and do his very best in life. Samson had supernatural strength, and it was all because of the Lord. Let me ask you something. Would you like God's supernatural strength to come upon you and to push you forward in life? This is the kind of favor we can expect when we develop in the presence of the Lord. In the Greek, the word uh, for prosper is euduo. You, I'm sorry, euodio. And it's a compound word. There it is, a dual Two words put together, and uh, it means this, to help along the road. The first word, E-U, means good or well. This is where we get the word eulogy from. And um, it, then the second part of the word is hodos, and hodos means a road. And it talks about and traveling on a road. And so when you put these two words together, Eorio, it means this, it means to help along the road. But think about this for a minute. If you put those two words together, it means good road, or good traveling, or good journey. And that's exactly what the Lord wants to bring into your life. He wants to help you along the road, help you through your journey in life, and he wants to bring good things into your life within that journey. He's not only able, but you need to know that he is also willing. Again, the key to experiencing this is his presence. And why is this? Because let me tell you something, God cannot fail. Did you know that? God always wins. God walks in prosperity all the time. And so if we will link up with him, then by default, we begin to walk in his prospering. So what is the key to the presence of the Lord? I'm glad you asked that question. 
the key to the presence of the Lord is obedience. If you desire the best of God in your life, then you will have to obey. I don't know why uh, so many believers in the body of Christ have a difficult time with obedience. And they don't like that word. We don't like that word obey. We don't like that word submission. We don't like that word uh, to serve. We don't, those are all words we don't like. However, when I talk about this, if you desire the best of God in your life, you will have to obey. Some, some might say, well, you're talking, it sounds like you're talking about works. What we're talking about here is, you know, there is grace. We're not talking about salvation. You're not saved through works. How many of you know that it says in Ephesians chapter 2, two by grace you are saved through faith, not, not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast? We know that scripture, right? And so uh, that's grace. We believe in grace. However, once we're saved, see, you can be saved and not experience God's best, God's, God's prosperity, God's success. You can be saved, go to heaven, and not experience it. But if you want to experience his best on the earth, if you want to walk in success, and I don't know anybody who wouldn't want that, then you're going to have to learn the power, can I say it this way? The power of obedience. The Lord's really been talking to me this year. I'm going to be developing a message at some point uh, on the power uh, that is released through obedience. And of course, in this teaching, it is talking about it also. You Look at uh, 2 Chronicles 17, 3 and 4. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father. And it's interesting, when you look at that word in the Hebrew language, whenever you see to seek God, or it talks about that he sought God, if you actually do a word study on that word, you're going to find that that is talking about worship. It incorporates worship, incorporates praise. It incorporates being sensitive, giving honor, and adoring. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. So like I said, that's talking about, has, it implies worship. And he obeyed, and God's presence was revealed. Uh, let's look at 1 Samuel 18, 12 through 14. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Oh, it sounds a little bit like Joseph again. So Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him, David, from his presence and made him captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Now, did David make any mistakes in his life? He did. But notice here it says that David behaved wisely. You know that one of the areas David behaved wisely in was that he repented. When he messed up, he repented. He got, he got on his face before God, and he repented. You notice here where it talks about uh, 
Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, he had, but had departed from Saul. So why did the Lord depart from Saul? Because Saul disobeyed. If you read, if you read in the story, you'll find out it's because Saul disobeyed. Why was the presence of God with David? Because David behaved wisely and David obeyed. You see the difference? It's important that we understand that obedience, there's a power that is released through obedience. Isaiah 1, 19 through 20 says this, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Sounds like prosperity to me, doesn't it, to you? But if you refuse and rebel, disobedience, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, today... Um, there is a curse within the earth. However, it tells us in Galatians 3.13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So you could think of it this way. As a believer, you have a, it's, it's like it's raining outside. And over the believer, there's an umbrella protecting us from the rain that's falling all around us. Now, you could make a choice to fold that umbrella up or to walk out from underneath that umbrella, and what's going to happen? You're going to get wet. It's the same way with obedience and disobedience. It's not God doing these things to you. It's the fact that these things are there, and you're choosing to walk out from God's protection, and you make the choice to walk into uh, the adverse area or the curse. We need to have a, we need to be willing and we need to have the, our attitude of the heart has to be willing. Notice it says, if you are willing and obedient, a hard issue, you, you shall eat the good of the land. God is wanting to get at your heart. Look at Deuteronomy eleven twenty six through 28. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way which I com- which I but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. If you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after the God's which you have not known. I was thinking about this scripture. I'm trying to think where it is. It's in, I believe it's in Deuteronomy as well. I think it's toward the end of Deuteronomy. And it basically kind of says the same thing. Behold, I set before you a blessing or a life and death. And then it tells you a little hint. Choose life. I always like that little area there, you know. Moses gave a little, hey, hey, by the way, choose life. Choose that one. That's the one you want to choose. Well, it's the same way here with the blessing and the curse. We need to choose the blessing, Amen. The curse isn't any fun. We don't want the curse. It hurts. We want the blessing. We're saved by grace, but if you want to succeed and walk into God's best, then you're going to have to obey. Uh, Right here where it says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. That word blessing is an interesting word. It's the word baraka. And uh, the word barak is a word that means bless. And it's always used of God, uh, never of man blessing God, but of God blessing man. And so this word barak means to bless, uh, to make the person uh, 
fortunate to be envied, happy, blessed. Uh, basically, it kind of means in the state of nothing missing, nothing broken. It's a kind of akin to shalom in a way. But this word here is the word baraka. I set before you today a blessing. In Psalm 84, this word baraka is used, and it means to be blessed, but it also means pool or pond. It's an interesting word. And so when you look up the word baraka and you read all the synonyms that are connected to it, you know, to be blessed, a blessing, and then it's, it's listing all these synonyms that are connected to it, and then all of a sudden it says pool or pond. And you're kind of going, huh? <laughs> you know, what's this all about? But if you look in Psalms 84 where it talks about uh, those who are walking through the Valley of Baca, the Valley of Baca means the place of weeping. It's a dry place. It's a, it's a lonely place. It's a terrible place. It's a place you don't want to be. It's kind of a depressed place. But it says, they make it a spring. And the rain also covers it with pools. And the word pools there is the word baraka. And so there really is a spiritual connotation to that. When God says, behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse, he's talking about this blessing is so abundant with Almighty God that it will pool up all around you. Isn't that good? I want the blessings of God so prevalent in my life that they're, they're just pooling up all around me. And that is what comes through that is connected to the power of obedience. God says, I'm giving you a chance to prosper and be successful with my prosperity. Obedience is equal to the blessing. Disobedience is equal to the curse. The choice is ours. Look at Job 36, uh, verse 11. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Question, Genesis 39.2, it says that God was with Joseph. How can it say that when God is everywhere? There are three types or levels of God's presence that we need to be aware of. One of them is the omnipresence of God. The other is the inner presence of God. And the third item is the manifest presence of God. Omnipresence of God, that's where everyone, everyone can experience He's everywhere, no matter where you go, you cannot get outside of God. He is just simply everywhere. It speaks of God's size. The inner presence of God refers to his closeness due to relationship. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and resides on the inside of you. It, we, we, we would call it his abiding presence. In other words, and here's the promise that goes along with his abiding presence. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I love that. And then there's the manifest presence of God that speaks of his power, speaks of his moving in your life. In other words, when, uh, let me give you an example. When you get healed, that's God's manifest presence moving within your life, coming to the forefront and bringing forth a manifestation of his grace. It's not wise to set the presence of God aside. And let me sh let's sh show you an example. An example is with Cain. And so this is where Cain had uh, killed Abel, and then God had gone to him and asked him about it. In other words, when God said, you know, where is your brother? And uh, he said, am I my brother's keeper? Hey, what was God doing right there? God was giving Cain an opportunity to repent. And here it says in Genesis 4, 16, it says, And then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, 
on the east of Eden. After Cain killed Abel, he gave him that opportunity to repent, and Cain refused it. He went out from the manifested presence of God, but God still was omnipresent, regard, even though he went out from his manifested presence. God was still omnipresent. He refused God and went out from the inner presence. And, of course, back then they weren't born again. So this, when I say inner presence in an Old Testament sense, I'm talking about a relational presence. How about David? This is a, a scripture that I'm going to read. This is right after David had sinned. Uh, Nathan the prophet had come to him to expose his sin uh, regarding Bathsheba and uh, orchestrating the murder of uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And uh, Nathan, of course, skillfully uh, painted a real nice picture of little sheep and lambs, and it was something that David was a sheep herder, and he, be, he just became indignant, you know, who is this man? And he said, you're the man. <laughs> And uh, look at what David said in Psalm 51, verse 11. This is the, the area when David finally comes to grips with his sin. Look at what was so, what gripped David's heart was this. Do not cast away, do not cast me away from your presence. It was the presence of God. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do not take it. Yeah, he wanted to stay with that. It was the presence of God. David knew that his success and his prosperity in life, the favor that he's had all his life, was solely dependent upon the presence of God. Let me tell you something about sin. Sin will cause a loss of fellowship. Now, there's been a lot of Christians that have, been, that have sinned, and right away, the devil will come in and say, that's it, you've fallen from grace. Uh, God doesn't love you anymore. God's gone. God has departed. And this, uh, that's simply just not true. Sin will cause a loss of fellowship. It will not take away your relationship. Thank God that we have 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible, that when we sin, we can come to him, we can confess our sin, and we can repent and it says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to, I love this last part, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that. The key to prospering is the presence of God. The key to the presence of God is obedience. The key to obedience is faith. Let me ask you a question. Why does the farmer plant seed? Because he believes if he tills the ground and puts seed into the ground, and if he waters that ground, something will grow into a harvest. What is that? That's faith. I heard somebody the other day talking about this. Uh, it's a pretty good illustration of faith in action. How many of you, when you, uh, when you, you know, go to take a shower, or you're going to take a bath or a shower, and you go over and you turn the hot water on, and then what do you do? You reach your hand and you touch it. And it's cold. And then you stand there and you wait. Why do you wait? Why do you stand there and wait? Because you know that it's going to get hot. That's faith in action. You're actually believing that that water is going to get hot. 
Now, some homes, it takes a little longer to get to some of the different places in the house. But you still wait, don't you? Yes. Faith really is not that difficult. You actually have a lot of faith, but sometimes it's not based on God or the right soil for the seed. Look at uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. I, I just got a little deeper uh, understanding on this recently. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honoring your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. You know, sometimes when you ask people about the scripture, you say, what is the first commandment with promise? And they'll say, oh, that you may live long on the earth. Well, that's only part of it. Did you see the first part of that? That it may be well with you. That you may, in other words, we could say it this way, that you may succeed that you may experience God's prosperity. I love that it said children obey your parents in the Lord. Children. You know, what do we do as parents with children as we're training them up? We teach them that there are consequences to bad choices or bad behavior. And we teach them if you're going to do this, then there's a consequence to that. However, if you obey, then there's a reward. There's a blessing in it. Did you know that's what we've been reading about right here? Blessing, I set before you a blessing and a cursing, consequence or blessing. And so I love it. Children go, grow up learning that routine. And I love that it says children obey your parents and the Lord. We need to obey our Heavenly Father so that things will go well with us. And that we will live long on the earth and have a productive life. We are children of God. We're to honor God and others. We can expect his favor and for things to go well. Why do we obey? Because we believe. Regarding our finances, we may believe that our financial well-being is in the hand of our employer and not in the hands of God. Years ago, I was talking to somebody, and I was talking about the tithe and uh, bringing forth some really, and what the Bible says about the tithe that's connected to the tithe. And remember, this person said, well, God can't bless me. I'm on a fixed income. I mean, they had it all figured out, you know. I'm on a fixed, I'm on, you know, I'm on Social Security. I get a set a set amount of money, that's all I get. How can, God, how can God ever bless me? And I said, because he's God. <laughs> that's why <laughs> he's God. He can do anything. And so, yeah, that's amazing. So sometimes we think that our finances are fixed uh, within the employer's room, but that's just not true. Uh, that's what tithing and giving are all about. You just trust the Lord in this. You obey by tithing and giving because you believe and honor his word. You know, I've said this for many years. I don't work for a living. I work for a giving. The money that I get from working is my seed. When I sow my seed, then a supernatural increase is invoked into that. And God's blessing brings forth prosperity and success. I've got so many stories regarding prosperity, financial prosperity. It's just amazing. I've had just tremendous things happen that you can't even explain. And I've had two years, there were two years in a row 
that when we went to our tax men to do our taxes, that our tax men was going, you, 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 you got a red flag here. You may get audited over this. And the reason was that um, the reason was that I ended up giving more than I made in a year. And there was two years that happened that I ended up giving beyond my income for the year. And so the tax man says, he never saw anything like that. And he says, you may have a problem with this. And I said, well, I'm not going to lie. You know, there it is. That's what it is. But that's something that God did. And uh, man had a hard time explaining it. Hmm. Never did get audited either. Favor of the Lord. Praise God. And so Hebrews 3, 18 and 19. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So you see that they could not enter in because of unbelief, faith, the opposite of faith. They could not enter in because of unbelief or no faith. If they had believed, they would have obeyed. Faith produces obedience. The fourth key is the key to faith is hearing the word of God. I want you to see something as you're listening to these. If you take these in reverse order, you'll see, the, you'll see that this one produces the number four, produces number three, number three, produces number two, and number two produces number one. So if you want to see where the actual production start, starts, it's right here. The key to faith is hearing the word. The key to prospering is the presence of God. The key to the presence of God is obeying. The key to obeying is faith. The key to faith is hearing the word. Of course, we all know this scripture quite clearly. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. A lot of times people have thought if they just hear the word. I remember years ago, there was a, when people, you know, they just believed that if they took the word of God and they put it on a CD player and they put it on repeat and then they'd go to sleep with it and they had speakers in their bedroom, you know, and they'd go to sleep with that, put a boom box there or whatever, and then they'd sleep and that way the word would be playing all night long and then they're going to build into faith giants. Because obviously the word, their ears would be hearing the word, and so they just believed they could kind of get it on the cheap by doing that. However, that's just not simply not really true. And if you look at this word, uh, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word hearing is akai, and it actually means this, hearing that lends itself to understanding or revelation. So it's not just sitting and letting um, and getting your Ear, eardrums to vibrate and produce sound, it's actually you sitting there and moving in. You remember that old commercial uh, when E.F. Hutton speaks? And then they'd, so everybody'd be in, you know, a busy buffet or a busy restaurant, and there's all this noise and everything, and then one guy would say, you know, my broker's E.F. Hutton, and everybody, they get silent, and all of a sudden you see people leaning in. You know, they got their hand cupped around their ear. They want to hear what you want to hear the financial advice of what to buy, what stocks to buy or whatever. And so they're leaning in. Well, that's how we need to be with the Word of God. Whenever the Word of God is being preached, whenever you're reading the Word of God, uh, make sure that you're leaning into it. 
uh, what I always like to do is I like to, I like to ask the Lord, Lord, I want revelation. I'd like to get revelation here. Lord, would you please bless me? Open up the eyes of my understanding. Bring wisdom into my life so that I can increase in my understanding of who you are and of the word of God. And so I want to go in and I pray over it like that. I'm hungry when I read the word. Lord, open up my eyes to this word today. Holy Spirit, speak to me as I read the word. And I know that I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit as I do that. Uh, years ago, I heard, uh, read a book, and uh, Smith Wigglesworth had said some people like to read their uh, Bible in the Greek. Some like to read it in the Hebrew. He said, I'd like to read mine in the Holy Ghost. And so, and I thought that's the best way to do it. You want to partner with the Holy Spirit, and you want to ask him to bring the revelation of his word into your life and let that impact your life. I want to be that E.F. Hutton Christian. I want to be pressing in. I've asked the Lord over and over again. I'll say, I want to be to where when you whisper to me, I'm alert. Yes, I hear that. Yes, Lord, here I am. If you even whisper, boom, it caught my attention. Notice in this scripture, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Notice it does not say that faith comes by obeying the word. It said, faith comes by hearing the word. Do you want to have faith? Hear, read, think the word of God. The word contains the power to change your life. How can it contain the power to change your life? Have you ever read Hebrews 4.12, one of my favorite scriptures? The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the, to the asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, that word discerner is the word kritikos in the Greek, and it, it's a word for umpire, a word for an umpire or a judge. And so it's the umpire that's judging between those thoughts, if it's a right thought or it's a wrong thought, if it's your flesh or if it's God's will. And so that's the word of God will do that in your life. The word is alive. A person who knows the presence of God will obey the word. Obedience doesn't bring forth faith, but hearing the word of God does. The more you hear the word, you will develop a strong faith. Can I just say it this way? No word, no faith. No faith, no word. That's a good one to remember. No word, no faith. No faith, no word. The more faith you realize, the more you will obey. The more you obey, the more God's inner presence and manifest presence you will encounter. The more of God's presence you encounter, the more you will prosper in every area of your life. Take advantage of the teachings, Bible studies, discipleship classes that we have here at Valley. Uh, develop a daily routine of reading the word. I can't stress that enough. You know, we're putting the Bible, you heard me this morning say this, we're putting the Bible reading plan in our uh, Sunday notes. And we should have done this years ago. We finally, we finally got it. We had a, a moment of revelation. And uh, so we're, we're bringing this to you to really help you uh, so that you can, I mean, if you're not able to read all of the chapters, if you could read one chapter 
a day. And if you'll set that time aside, I guarantee that you will begin to see a noted difference in your life. After, a, after a, probably about a month, two, three weeks, month, you're going to notice that there are great changes that are taking place in your life. I meet with guys uh, Monday through Saturday, a group of guys on Zoom. And we've been doing this since the, uh, over a year now. We've been doing this since the pandemic started. And we're going to continue doing it because the guys, we just really love it. And I've noticed the guys that have, when they first started, some of the guys had a little bit of a hard time journaling and and uh, talking and, and how they presented what they were, you know, what they were trying to say, what God had shown them. And uh, all of a sudden today, uh, these men are, they're like faith giants. And I, I sit back and I'm just going, this is amazing. I had a woman come up to me a couple of weeks ago, of one of the men that's a part of this. And she came up to me and she says, I don't recognize my husband anymore. She goes, I keep saying, who is this man? She goes, there's such a change that has taken place in his life. He's completely changed. She says, he gets up early, he's, he's does, his, does his Bible reading, he's all set, and he's just waiting for the Zoom meeting to start. And, but I've noticed every one of the men that have been a part of this have changed. Their lives have changed, and they've just become, I just look back and I go, Lord, what are you doing here? This is amazing. They're like a flower that's just unfolding, and I'm just watching the giftings develop within their lives. When you enter into the palace, you need to have a heart to serve and live out the keys of prosperity. Why? Because prospering is God's will for your life. One minute after seven, praise God. I did not know if I was going to be able to do this. <laughs> you know, Pastor Gary said, yeah, I want you to teach my series. And he says, yeah, and I heard him. We start at 6 and we end at 7, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I have a tendency to go over a little bit, but I made it. I got it. So uh, I hope you've been blessed by this tonight. And uh, to really take it to heart, the Word of God is really the source. It's really something that you need to be a part of. You need to have it happening in your life. I've known of people that said, well, I don't read that well. That's okay. Get a version of the Bible that you can read. Get one that you understand. And you can always move up from there. You know, in another year, you can move up to a different uh, translation. When I came to the Lord, I had to do that. I could not understand the New King James Version. I could not understand the NIV. I could read it, yes, but there were words in there that I just didn't understand. Uh, kind of embarrassing to say that to you. I was 33 years old, but because of my lifestyle and because of the people I was hanging around, our vocabulary was kind of like this, whoa, dude, hey, wow, uh-huh. That was kind of my vocabulary, okay? And so, and then, of course, a whole bunch of four-letter words that were thrown in in between those, you know. And so uh, I didn't have a lot of depth uh, at the time of 33 when I came to the Lord. And I remember being here in church, and somebody came up to me and says, you're really a man of integrity. And I stopped him, and I just said, I don't understand what you just said. I mean, nobody ever associated the word integrity with my life, okay? That was like an oxymoron. That was this opposite. And so they had to explain to me what integrity meant because I did not know what it meant. So I, I didn't have any shame in it. I just figured anybody I talked to, if they use a word I don't understand, I'm going to ask them what that word means so I can learn and I can grow. Uh, I had to read the Bible with a dictionary. 
And so, because there were just a lot of words I didn't understand. So finally, uh, you know, I got the living Bible. And it was like, ah, I can understand this one. And uh, so I read it through in the living, and then I moved up from there. And then I ended up reading it through in the NIV, then I, and then I went to the New King James. I read it through in the Amplified, uh, and then I read it through in the straight King James. And that was all, I think, within one year. And so I just kept, uh, I just kept elevating and going. What was happening when I was reading the Word of God? Prosperity was taking place in my life. Success was happening in my life. The Word of God was teaching me how to understand the language and to understand God's language of what he was saying. And so I just want to, I've seen the word of God make such changes within my life when I adhered my, when I would adhere myself to it and I would set time aside. I love it in the Bible when it says that Jesus had a set time. He had a set place. And so we need to have set times and I have a set place in my house where I, where I worship the Lord, and I can see a few nodding their head. You also have a set place and a set time. I think it's really important to have these times uh, where we get before the Lord and we learn of him as a disciple. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank